0: Chapter Thirteen of the Midnight Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Doraline Kaplan. The Midnight Queen by May Agnes Fleming. Chapter Thirteen. Probably not one of you, my dear friends, who glance graciously over this, was ever shut up in a dungeon under expectation of bearing the unpleasant operation of decapitation within half an hour. It never happened to myself, either, that I can recollect. So, of course, you or I personally can form no idea what the sensation may be like. But in this particular case, tradition saith Sir Norman Kingsley's state of mind was decidedly depressed. As the door shut violently, he leaned against it and listened to his jailers place the great bars into their sockets and felt he was shut in in the dreariest darkest dismalest disagreeablest place that it had ever been his misfortune to enter he thought of leoline and reflected that in all probability she was sleeping the sleep of the just perhaps dreaming of him and little knowing that his head was to be cut off in half an hour in course of time morning would come It was not likely the ordinary course of nature would be cut off because he was, and Leoline would get up and dress herself, and looking a thousand times prettier than ever, stand at the window and wait for him. Ah, she might wait, much good would it do her. About that time he would probably be, where? It was a rather uncomfortable question, but easily answered, and depressed him to a very desponding degree indeed. He thought of Ormiston and La Masque, no doubt they were billing and cooing in most approved fashion just then, and never thinking of him, though. But for La Masque and his own folly, he might have been half married by this time. He thought of Count Létrange and Master Hubert, and became firmly convinced if one did not find Leoline, the other would, and each being equally bad, it was about a toss-up in agony which got her. He thought of Queen Miranda and of the adage, Put no trust in princes, and sighed deeply as he reflected what a bad sign of human nature it was, more particularly such handsome human nature, that she could, figuratively speaking, pat him on the back one moment and kick him to the scaffold the next. He thought dejectedly, what a fool he was ever to have come back, or even having come back not to have taken greater pains to stay up aloft instead of pitching abruptly head-foremost into such a select company without an invitation. He thought, too, what a cold, damp, unwholesome chamber they had lodged him in, and how apt he would be to have a bad attack of ague and miasmatic fever if they would only let him live long enough to enjoy those blessings. And this having brought him to the end of his melancholy meditation, He began to reflect how he could best amuse himself in the interim, before quitting this veil of tears. The candle was still blinking feebly on the floor, shedding tears of wax in its feeble prostration, and it suddenly reminded him of the dwarf's advice to examine his dark bower of repose. So he picked it up and snuffed it with his fingers, and held it aloof, much as Robinson Crusoe held the brand in the dark cavern with the dead goat. In the velvet pall of blackness before alluded to, its small wan ray pierced but a few inches and only made the darkness visible. But Sir Norman groped his way to the wall, which he found to be all over green and noisome slime, and broken out into a cold, clammy perspiration as though it were at its last gasp. By the aid of his friendly light, for which he was really much obliged, a fact which, had his little friend known, he would not have left it, he managed to make the circuit of his prison, which he found rather spacious and by no means uninhabited, for the walls and floor were covered with fat black beetles, whole families of which, interesting specimens of the insect world he crunched remorselessly underfoot, and massacred at every step, and great, depraved-looking rats with flashing eyes and sinister teeth, who made frantic dives and rushes at him, and bit at his jackboots with fierce fury. These small quadrupeds reminded him forcibly of the dwarf, especially in the region of the eyes and the general expression of countenance, and he began to reflect that if the dwarf's soul, supposing him to possess such an article as that which seemed to be open to debate, passed after death into the body of any other animal, it would certainly be into that of a rat. He had just come to this conclusion, and was applying the flame of the candle to the nose of an inquisitive beetle, when it struck him he heard voices in altercation outside his door. One, clear, ringing, and imperious, yet withal feminine, was certainly not heard for the first time, and the subdued and respectful voices that answered were those of his guards. After a moment, he heard the sound of the withdrawing bolts, and his heart beat fast. Surely his half-hour had not already expired, and if it had, would she be the person to conduct him to death? The door opened. A puff of wind extinguished his candle, but not until he had caught the glimmer of jewels, the shining of gold, and the flutter of long black hair. And then someone came in. The door was closed. The bolt shot back, and he was alone with Miranda, the queen. There was no trouble about recognizing her, for she carried in her hand a small lamp, which she held up between them, that its rays might fall directly on both faces. Each was rather white, perhaps, and one heart was going faster than it had ever gone before, and that one was decidedly not the queen's. She was dressed exactly as he had seen her, in purple and ermine, in jewels and gold and strangely out of place she looked there in her splendid dress and splendid beauty among the black beetles and rats her face might have been a dead blank wall or cut out of cold white stone for all it expressed and as she lightly held up her rich robes in one hand and in the other bore the light the dark shining eyes were fixed on his face and were as barren of interest eagerness compassion tenderness or any other feeling as the shining black glass ones of a wax doll so they stood looking at each other for some ten seconds or so and then still looking full at him miranda spoke and her voice was as clear and emotionless as her eyes well sir norman kingsley i have come to see you before you die "'Madame,' he stammered, scarcely knowing what he said, "'you are kind.' "'Am I? Perhaps you forget I signed your death warrant.' "'Probably it would have been at the risk of your own life to refuse.' "'Nothing of the kind. Not one of them would hurt a hair of my head if I refused to sign fifty death warrants. Now am I kind?' "'Very likely. It would have amounted to the same thing in the end.' They would kill me whether you signed it or not. So, what does it matter? You are mistaken. They would not kill you, at least not to-night, if I had not signed it. They would have let you live until their next meeting, which will be this night week, and I would have incurred neither risk nor danger by refusing. Sir Norman glanced around the dungeon and shrugged his shoulders. I do not know that that prospect is much more inviting than the present one. Even death is preferable to a week's imprisonment in a place like this. But in the meantime, you might have escaped. Madam, look at this stone floor, that stone roof, these solid walls, that barred and massive door, reflect that I am some forty feet underground, cannot perform impossibilities, and then ask yourself, how? Sir Norman... "'Have you ever heard of good fairies "'visiting brave knights and setting them free?' "'Sir Norman smiled. "'I am afraid the good fairies and brave knights "'went the way of all flesh "'with King Arthur's round-table, "'and even if they were in existence, "'none of them would take the trouble "'to limp down so far to save such an unlucky dog as I. "'Then you forgive me for what I have done?' "'Your Majesty,' I have nothing to forgive. Bah! she said scornfully. Do not mock me here. My Majesty, forsooth, you have but fifteen minutes to live in this world, Sir Norman, and if you have no better way of spending them, I will tell you a strange story, my own, and all about this place. Madame, there is nothing in the world I would like so much to hear. "'You shall hear it then, and it may beguile the last slow moments of time "'before you go out into eternity.' "'She set her lamp down on the floor among the rats and beetles "'and stood watching the small red flame a moment with a gloomy downcast eye, "'and Sir Norman, gazing on the beautiful darkening face, "'so like and yet so unlike Leoline, "'stood eagerly awaiting for what was to come. "'Meantime the half-hour sped. In the crimson court the last trial was over, and Lady Castlemaine, a slender little beauty of eighteen, stood condemned to die. "'Now for our other prisoner!' exclaimed the dwarf with sprightly animation. "'And while I go to the cell, you fair ladies and you, my lord, will seek the black chamber and await our coming there!' Ordering one of his attendants to precede him with a light, the dwarf skipped jauntily away to gloat over his victim." He reached the dungeon door, which the guards, with some trepidation in their countenance as they thought of what His Highness would say when he found Her Majesty locked in with the prisoner, threw open. "'Come forth, Sir Norman Kingsley!' shouted the dwarf, rushing in. "'Come forth and meet your doom!' But no Sir Norman Kingsley obeyed the pleasant invitation, and a dull echo from the darkness alone answered him. There was a lamp burning on the floor, and near it lay a form, shining and specked with white in the gloom. He made for it between fear and fury, but there was something red and slippery on the ground, in which his foot slipped and he fell. Simultaneously, there was a wild cry from the two guards and the attendant that was echoed by a perfect screech of rage from the dwarf, as on looking down, he beheld Queen Miranda lying on the floor in the pool of blood and apparently quite dead, and Sir Norman Kingsley gone. End of chapter thirteen. Recording by Doraline Kaplan.